and those are going to come or uh, what kind of things they're going to be, but we struggle and we're going to us, whether it's something little or something big, at times in our lives are going to struggle and we're going to need to be comforted. You know, we go through difficult times, we look for something that's able to comfort us. Uh, maybe that means you go and you visit a family or a friend that you know cares about you. You just need to spend time with them, uh, being assured that there's somebody that's kind of with you in the midst of your suffering. Or maybe you just need to get out and kind of be in nature. You, you like to be alone with, with the Lord and kind of just meditate on Him. Um, maybe you go to a bowl of ice cream. You know, they, they call it comfort food for a reason. Uh, there's all sorts of different things that we might do to try to comfort ourselves when we go through uh, times of difficulty. But I believe that how we respond to difficult times and who or what we turn to for comfort actually plays a big role in shaping us. And it greatly affects the quality of life that we're going to experience. And there's certainly some sources of comfort that are better than others. And there's no source of comfort that can compare to God our Heavenly Father. As a matter of fact, uh, one of his names in Scripture is actually the Father of Compassion and the God of all comfort. And that title is given to him by someone who knows a thing or two about going through difficult times. That, that title actually comes from the Apostle Paul, a guy who went through a lot of struggles and a lot of difficulty, and he wrote uh, a letter to a city in, uh, a church in a city called Corinth about 2,000 years ago, and it was in this letter that he gave God this title, the God of all comfort. And we call this letter 2 Corinthians. It's the letter that we're actually going to be studying together as a church throughout the rest of this semester, okay? And you might be asking, why is it that I would want to come to church every Sunday morning and hear somebody read a letter that's about 2,000 years old and talk about it? It seems weird, right? Like, why are we reading somebody else's mail? Um, well, there, there's a reason. First off, th this letter that we call 2 Corinthians, the reason we're going to be spending so much time reading it, meditating on it, and trying to put it into action is because it's part of the Bible, okay? And the, when I talk about the Bible, this is, it's a 66 books that we believe are the authoritative Word of God. And when I say that it's the Word of God, we believe that, yes, the Bible was written down by human authors that were real people in real times in history, that were writing the real situations, but that God was the one who moved in them to inspire them and give them the words that they needed to write, not just for their time, but that would also be helpful for the church throughout the rest of history until the return of Christ. And so, yes, this, uh, this scripture was written by people, but we see the church has always seen it as something that's God-breathed, that when we read the words of Paul, even in a letter that he wrote to the Corinthians 2,000 years ago, that we are reading words that God inspired. We see this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, how uh, scripture was viewed by the early church. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I know that you might say, hey, it's circular reasoning to say that the Scripture is the Word of God because it says that it's the Word of God. Um, I, I would agree with you. That is circular reasoning. But it's important for us to at least know this is how the church 
uh, viewed this, and I, I could preach a whole sermon on why we can believe that the Bible is the word of God, but that's outside the scope of what I'm trying to do this morning. So if you have questions about that or you want to talk about, hey, why is it that we view the Bible as the word of God, um, I'm very accessible. Come talk to me after the service. Send me an email or a text or something, and we can get together, and I'd love to talk through that with you. Uh, but for now, uh, what I want you to know is that here at H2O, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. We treat it as authoritative, and just as it says here, we believe that it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so because of this, we believe that even an old letter like 2 Corinthians has great value for us today in teaching us how to live as God's faithful people. So when I preach, I preach from the word of God. Like, that's what has authority, right? I'm not up here to give you my opinions every week, and neither is anyone else that you're going to see standing up here. What we want to do is walk through the scripture and direct you towards the Lord that we would be able to hear what he has to say for us and respond to that. And I believe that God has a ton to say to us and that we're going to be blessed if we're people that act upon it. You know, one of the core values of our church is that we're a church that's biblically formed. We want to be a community of people that know his word and are shaped by his words. So that's why we're going to be studying a 2,000-year-old letter every week as we come to church together on these Sunday mornings. So you understand why we're doing that, but you might ask, like, okay, why is a letter in the Bible, okay? And I, I know there's probably a lot of different backgrounds in here. Some of you, maybe you've grown up going to church your whole life, and you know a ton about what the Bible is. Maybe for others, like, I don't really know. I just know it's like a really big book that I've never read all the way through. Um, okay, when, when we bind the Bible together into one book, sometimes it can be confusing for us to understand the nature of what it actually is. Which, yes, it's the word of God, and it's, it's appropriate to bind it together into one book because it is one cohesive story that is inspired by God. But we should also know that it's a compilation of 66 different books that were written by dozens of different authors that was written over the course of about 1,500 years. There's all sorts of different types of literature and everything else that make this up. And some of it is made up of letters, Okay, especially in the New Testament, you see uh, letters that would be written to churches that were brand new churches that were started. And a lot of these are written by the Apostle Paul. He would start a new church in the city, he'd preach the gospel, he'd teach them for a while, he'd move on, and then he would write a letter back to that city, to, to, to that church in that city to help continue to lead them towards the Lord. Now, these letters are real historical documents, okay? They speak to specific situations, like real stuff that was going on, like random people are named, like, hey, say hi to this person, and all that kind of stuff. They, they aren't something that is, is like super lofty or uh, something that's kind of like written like a religious document. It, it's a very much a real practical letter that's written to real people. Um, that has a specific audience, specific time. But just because of that, that doesn't mean that it's not also relevant for our time today. These letters are filled with all sorts of truth about who God is, and there's a ton of instruction about how to follow him. You know, the early church actually recognized this, so even though these letters would be written to specific churches, what they started to do was preserve them and circulate them and pass them around to all these other churches in different cities. And they would go beyond just the original audience. You know, we see this attitude that they started to actually treat these letters as Scripture, the authoritative Word of God. I'll give you an example of this in 2 Peter 3, 15 to 16. Uh, this is the Apostle Peter. You guys are familiar with him. He was kind of the leader of the apostles of Jesus. It says, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, 
which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Okay, so I want you to see what's going on there. Peter is writing, saying, hey, remember Paul's letters, and he says that, they, yeah, sometimes they're hard to understand. That's part of why we're going to be doing this together. We're going to be working through some of the difficult things to understand in there. But he says that people will sometimes distort them as they do the other scriptures. He's putting it right there with, with scriptures. Hey, hey, all this Old Testament scripture, that, that word that we see there, scriptures, graphe, that is, that's always used to refer to like Old Testament scriptures. And Peter is saying, hey, Paul's writings, these letters, are right in there with the rest of that. Like they're treating that with the same level as the, they treat the rest of the word of God. And so that's why a letter made it into a book that we call the Bible. Yes, it was written to the Corinthians. Yes, it's 2,000 years old. Yes, it's personal communication between Paul and a Corinthian church. But it's also communication between God and his people for all time. And so with that being said, I hope that you're excited to get into seeing what this letter has to hold, what God has to speak to us, and how we can form our lives around the instruction that he gives us there. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into our text for this morning. God, I thank you that you love us enough to communicate with us. And thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the, the written word, Lord, just the scripture that you give us that teaches us so much about who you are and who we are and how to live. And, and God, I just ask that uh, as we're studying that together this morning and every week and, and in our life groups and, and just all the times that we open up our Bibles, Lord, that uh, you would really speak to us and form us into the people that you want us to be. Help us to see you, God. Help us to see you for who you really are. Help us to fall more in love with you as we get a more accurate picture of you. Be with us here this morning, God. I pray that you would uh, remove any sort of distractions or anything that might be here and just help us to focus in on what you have to say. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. All right, so as I said, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. Uh, we're just going to read the first 11 verses of the letter today. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in, prayers to the ans in answer to the prayers of many. 
All right, so uh, that's all we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, it's going to kind of be our anchor text for today. And uh, when reading that, you can't help but notice the fact that Paul kind of falls in love with one word over and over, the word comfort, right? I, I counted nine times that I saw it there in the first 11 verses. So why is it that he's talking so much about comfort at the beginning of this letter? I think there's two reasons. The first one we see in the immediate text, right? He talks, us about, uh, he talks about this really difficult situation that he was going through in Asia. And when he says Asia, think of modern-day Turkey. They call that Asia Minor. That's the area where he's talking about where whatever it was, he went through some sort of really extreme trial and difficulty there. It's clear that it was intense. He says it was far beyond their ability to endure. He said he despaired of life and thought that he was going to die. Basically, I had a death sentence. Now, he doesn't give us more detail to know for sure what he's talking about, so there's a lot of different theories about what this trial may be. Uh, I think the best theory is, is that he might be alluding to the riot that happened in Ephesus in Acts 19. We're not going to go there this morning, but if you want to read about that on your own, you can. Uh, but basically, Ephesus was a city that was in Turkey, or Asia Minor, and uh, when he was there, his preaching was actually so effective. God was doing awesome stuff. Tons of people in Ephesus were coming to know the Lord. Uh, but what that started to do is actually disrupt the economy of the city. Um, people started burning all of their books that had like witchcraft stuff in them. And, and uh, they stopped buying idols. And the guys that made idols started to get worried because they're like, hey, our, our livelihood is based on the fact that people need to keep worshiping these idols. So they actually went and, and kind of stirred up these crowds saying, hey, our, our city is all about worshiping Artemis, this, you know, false god. And uh, they, a, a riot just about started there to where Paul was in great danger. No one wanted to let him go out into the crowds. And uh, there's a good chance that maybe Paul was referring this to, to this and th this distress that he went through. I don't know for sure if that's what he's talking about. But whatever it was, he was in a very, very intense time of distress. But God delivered him from it. He was able to escape from that place in Ephesus. The, the riot eventually kind of quelled, uh, was, was quelled. And he was able to go on and continue in ministry. And I don't know if you've ever found, found yourself in a uh, situation that's as intense maybe as what Paul was in. But I love to know that like when he tells me that God is the God of all comfort, that this is a guy who stared death and difficulty in the face and said, yes, like this is what's actually worked, that God was able to comfort me even in the midst of that. And you know, I've never stared death in the face like that before. I, I can't say that I've experienced a situation personally that seems as intense as what Paul was experiencing in Asia. But I do think there's another reason for why he writes about why God is the God of all comfort. And I think it's one that most of us are familiar with. And this other reason I think he's talking so much about comfort and the opening of this letter is because he's still in the midst of a time where he needed to be comforted by God due to the fact that he had some relational problems with people that he loved dearly. And that was the very people that he was writing to here in Corinth. You know, I, I, relational pain is tough. Like, I don't know how you feel when you have someone that you love that, like, there's a relationship that's off. Maybe there's a misunderstanding there. Maybe that person has started to form some really negative opinions of you or they've started to lose trust in you. But I know that if I'm in that situation with somebody, that, like, weighs heavy on me. Like, it can be hard to sleep. It's, it's, it's hard to have joy in a lot of circumstances until you can feel like that tension is resolved between you and this friend that you love. <clears throat> and, you know, Paul had an interesting history with these Corinthians that he was writing to. He loved them a ton, and many of them loved him, but also, like, this was a church that was mired in problems, 
And to understand a little bit of this relational difficulty I'm talking about, we need to recap a little bit of their history together, okay? And, and what even led to the writing of this letter in the first place. So if we go back to Acts 18, you'll, we're, we're not going to flip there, but uh, that's where you'll actually see the planting of this church in Corinth. Uh, Paul arrives at this city, uh, it's a city in Greece, and uh, he helps start this church. He preaches the gospel, people come to know the Lord. He stays there for at least a year and a half. Uh, but after training them well, he goes off and he starts to plant churches in other places. But after he left, there were a lot of problems that developed in this church. And uh, you can see all of these in 1 Corinthians. We actually preached through 1 Corinthians a couple years ago. We titled the sermon series Messy Church because there were so many problems that were going on in this place. They had issues with divisions amongst themselves. There was immorality that was being tolerated in the church. Uh, they had disorder in worship services. They were lacking love for each other. There was uh, so many things that, that were problematic that were going on in this church. So Paul writes 1 Corinthians uh, to address so many of these problems that were going on. Now from this point, our story gets a little bit less clear. So we have to infer a little bit more than I'd like to sometimes, but here's what I think happened for the rest of their relationship with one another. It seems that after writing 1 Corinthians, uh, the church was still experiencing a lot of these really painful, uh, a lot of these, difficult, uh, these difficulties and problems. I don't know how well they necessarily responded to it, but it's, whatever it was, it seems that Paul needed to go and make what he calls a painful visit to them. All right, he says in 2 Corinthians 1, he says, uh, so I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. We'll, we'll read about that later, but that, infer, that implies that there was a painful visit that he had to make in the first place. And so most biblical scholars think that this was a visit he had to make after writing 1 Corinthians because the church did not adequately respond to everything that was written in that letter. So Paul has to come and make a painful visit and rebuke people for sin. It's, it's difficult to do that. And Honestly, it seems that that visit may not have even gone very well, because even after this, he had to write a very difficult letter to them after this that caused him a lot of anguish. In 2 Corinthians 2.4, he says, For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. So even after this painful visit that Paul made, he had to write a difficult letter that caused him a lot of anguish and tears. And uh, as you can see, Paul was a guy that was in a state where he needed some comfort from God. There, here's these people that he cares so deeply about, but they're stuck in so many problems. And not only are they personally stuck in problems, but also, as we'll see when we continue on through 2 Corinthians, there's a lot of like character assassination that's even going on in Corinth with relation to Paul. There's people that are slandering him, that are spreading false things about him, people that are basically trying to undermine his teaching and his authority in the church in Corinth. And so you can imagine Paul has a lot of distress about this situation. And I think that's part of why he, he needs to open this letter by talking about how God is the God of comfort. Now, some good news is that it seems that this really severe letter that he wrote that caused him anguish and tears was probably responded well to by the Corinthians. We don't have that letter, unfortunately. It's not in the scripture. But we do see that by the time of 2 Corinthians, he speaks of how they had sorrow that led to repentance. And so in all likelihood, they repented of their sin after getting this severe letter. And that now, Paul is writing 2 Corinthians um, to strengthen his relationship with them to continue to try and rebuild this, this relationship that was damaged, and to continue to defend himself against all of the kinds of false attacks that are going on against his character and his teaching in Corinth. So things aren't perfect, 
but they're getting better. You know, I can see why Paul was a guy that would really need to lean on the God of comfort. Imagine the pain that there would be when literally you're the person that came and started this church. There's people that didn't know the Lord at all. You come, you preach the gospel the first time, you watch them move from death to life. You sacrifice like crazy to take care of this church. Paul was, was working as a tent maker and also preaching to them. I mean, he, he was absolutely tireless in the way that he would labor for these people. Uh, he would go through all sorts of danger for their sake. And then um, after all of this, he still found himself being questioned, ignored, and slandered. Man, I don't know if you feel like you've ever just put yourself on the line for someone and poured your heart out for them and labored for them, and then they turn around and there's a level of mistrust and unthankfulness. But man, it, one thing is it can be easy to become bitter in that situation. I don't think Paul did become bitter. But I think the reason is because he turned to God for his comfort. And so you're going to see in this letter that it actually has a very personal tone to it. Probably more so than any other letter that Paul wrote to the other churches. He needs to defend his reputation also, not just for his own good, but for the good of the Corinthians, so that they don't get led astray by the false teachers that oppose Paul. And as personal of a letter as this is, when Paul is defending himself, he's also giving a picture to the future church of what a faithful Christian servant looks like. And that's really the lens through which we're going to be studying this letter this semester. Uh, that we're going to, with each week, we're going to see this different aspect of what Paul is pointing out that tells us uh, something that should be a part of the life of a faithful Christian servant. And today, we see that a faithful Christian servant is someone that's comforted by God and seeks to comfort others as well. And so when I say that a faithful Christian servant is someone that's comfort, comforted by God, um, I say this because despite all of this difficulty that Paul was going through, the tone in the opening of this letter is actually really joyful and hopeful, right? It isn't because of his circumstances, those certainly aren't perfect now, but it's because of his relationship with the God of all comfort. And how is it that God can be a God who so effectively comforts his people, even in the most difficult of situations? There's a couple of things we see. The first is that he gives his people hope. You know, God gives hope to his people when speaking of the difficult situation that he was encountering in Asia, where it was looking like he was going to die, Look at what Paul says. He says, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. You catch what Paul's saying here? The reason that he's able to have comfort, even in a place where he looks like he's going to die, is because he knows that he serves a God who even raises the dead. So no matter what happens to him, like it's still going to turn out all right in the end. And that's a really important reminder for us here as Christians. I think so often we don't really live with like the resurrection hope that Jesus gives us. And sometimes we're actually really deficient in the way we think about the resurrection. Uh, when I say resurrection, almost any Christian is going to think about the resurrection of Jesus, which is good and important. That's a very central thing for us as Christians. And, and uh, basically the story is Jesus came, he died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, but three days later he rose from the grave. All right? But, but that resurrection shows that Jesus, his payment went through, he conquered sin, he conquered death, he overcame that. That is all awesome. We see the triumph of Christ there in the resurrection. But there's something else that's very important for us to understand about the resurrection. And it's actually called the first fruits of our resurrection. First fruits. If you're a farmer and you're growing crops, 
uh, sometimes there's a few crops that are going to come up and kind of sprout before the rest of them, and those are your first fruits. They're a sign of what is yet to, uh, to come in greater quantity. And so when, what we see in the scripture, when, when Jesus is called the first fruits of our resurrection, what, what happened with him in rising from the dead is actually an indicator of what is going to happen for all of those that follow him. We are people that will be raised from the dead. When Jesus speaks of, us, of those who believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life, this is what he's talking about. And so we realize that we're people that even though this physical body can be killed, and there's all sorts of terrible things that other people might be able to do to us while we're here in the body, ultimately they can't win. <clears throat> because we serve a God that raises, from, raises the dead. And he already proved that with Jesus, and he's going to do it in mass in the future for all of us that believe in him. Even if you're killed, it's not like you're ultimately stopped. You know, no matter how bad things get for us here in this life, the Christian is comforted by the reality that God gives us hope of a glorious future with him. And if you have this in mind, honestly, any problem that you run into starts to seem a lot smaller. I'm not saying it doesn't cause you distress or difficulty at all. Obviously, this life is still really important. But in the grand scheme of things, guys, like, we have it made if you're in Jesus. That's pretty comforting. And, you know, not, not only do we have <clears throat> this hope of a glorious future that was bought for us, but also he gives us fellowship. We're like, he comforts us because he literally lets us walk through life with him. We don't just have to wait for the future when we're going to be resurrected, but he literally lets us walk with him now. Look at how this is communicated in Psalm 23, one, uh, verses 1 to 4. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for, your, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, if you're a Christian, whatever difficulty you find yourself walking through, know that God is there walking with you. That's pretty cool, right? Like, if you have God Almighty with you walking through, is there any problem that you're going to encounter that's going to be too great for him? No, he gives you a certain level of comfort and confidence <clears throat> that you wouldn't be able to have otherwise. You know, this is kind of a, a silly analogy, but I'm a, I'm a big Bengals fan. I'm excited for the season to start uh, next week. And uh, I love having Joe Burrow as our quarterback, right? It's so different. I, I see the Joe Burrow jersey out there. Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's so different from what my normal experience was being a Bengals fan. Uh, because, you know, it used to be, oh, we'd, we'd get down, and, and no disrespect to our former quarterbacks, but, like, you, you kind of get into a hole where you feel like there's really no way out of this. Like, I can't be comforted. Uh, we're going to lose this game. Uh, but, but now, like, with this team we have, and especially with the quarterback we have, it's kind of like you never feel like you're out of it. You know, we've proved that. We've been down 17 points to the Chiefs a couple times and come back. You know, it's like the, you feel like there's always this hope, but because we've got this guy, like, we've always got a chance. And on a much greater level, it's like, because we walk with the Lord, like, we're able to make it through anything. There, there is no sort of shadow that's too dark for the Lord to be able to overcome it. And, and man, like, that confidence of just being able to walk with him should make a major difference in our life and how we attack the problems that come. But we need to be people that refresh ourselves, consistently reminding us, uh, reminding ourselves of how we literally get to walk with God. Like, he's there, but, but so often we're just not even conscious of it. 
And this is why I'm such a big fan of taking time in your life to go and, and to get away and to be with the Lord. I've talked uh, previously about doing little retreats of times of silence and solitude, extended time where you just get to walk with the Lord and, and think with Him and speak with Him and pray with Him. You know, this is why I would encourage you to be people that have a rhythm of, of personal devotion or quiet time, whatever you want to call it, where uh, you're just consistently getting to be with the Lord and renew your mind with truth knowing that he's walking through you and comforting you in the midst of your difficulty. And you know, not only does God comfort us through fellowship with himself, but he comforts us through fellowship with others. We actually see a very direct example of how this helps uh, Paul later in this letter this, uh, to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 7, 6-7, he says this, But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. You see, Paul was comforted by his friends. The fact that Titus came was great. He was happy to hang with Titus. It helped him when he was in a difficult time. And not only that, but Titus brought the message of how the Corinthians had repented and how they still loved and cared about Paul. And so that was something that started to really encourage him. You know, when we know others that that when we know that others care about us, it can go a long way in comforting us in difficult situations. I think that loneliness is one of the biggest sources of despair, but fellowship is one of the greatest sources of comfort. And so we've seen a little bit of how God is the God of comfort and how he comforts us through uh, hope and through fellowship with himself and with others, but why is it that he does this in the first place? Like, God doesn't really actually owe us comfort. But because he's good, he cares about us, right? The first reason that God comforts us is because he's compassionate and he loves us. In 2 Corinthians 1, which you already read, Paul calls him the father of compassion. Who could be more compassionate than God? Fathers are compassionate towards their children. I think of, um, you know, my daughter, if she's in distress or she needs to be comforted, of course I want to do whatever I can to be able to, to take care of her because I love her. I want to help her in any way that I can. And we have a God that loves us and cares for us as his children. Wants to comfort us. You know, I think that sometimes we take this as a given, right? Like you probably heard this a lot before. And as a matter of fact, we almost kind of live in a way where we expect that God owes this kind of love to us. Um, but but I, I really caution you against that. You know, what, what God actually owes you is punishment for your sin. Right? Like, that's actually what the scripture teaches. The wages of sin is death. That's what we've earned. A wage is what you earn. That's not a gift. But the uh, gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The, the love that we have from God is not something that we're automatically entitled to. It's actually a grace that he gives us. And you know, he gives it to us because he's good. Not because you're good. You didn't do anything to earn the love of God. You never will. God loves you because he's good. And that is really encouraging, right? Because there's times that we screw up and we mess up and we might think, man, I'm not good, I'm not lovable. And if God's love was based on us and our performance, that would be really discouraging. That would be a very uncomforting thought. But something that's extremely comforting is the fact that we have a God who loves us and is compassionate towards us, not because we're good, but because he's good. And that's never going to change. God is always going to be good. He's always going to be full of love. He's always going to be full of compassion. And he demonstrated that most, most significantly on the cross. While we were still sinners and Christ died for us. 
you know, God comforts us because he's a good father that cares for us, but he also comforts us, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of others. You know, even though his love and compassion are undeserved, it's probably the first answer that most of us would give for why God comforts his people. And it is a major reason. But here in this text, we see that there is another major reason for why God comforts his people. Look, about, look back at this, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You see that? God comforts us not just because he cares about us, but also so that you can pass that same comfort along to other people. Consistently, we actually see this theme throughout the Bible, that when God blesses, it's not just for the sake of that person, it's so that it can be spread along to others. Blessing, biblically, is for spreading, not for hoarding, okay? We see this over and over. Look at this for Abraham, when God said he was going to bless him. Uh, Abraham was an old guy in the Bible uh, that God said he was going to bless with land and descendants, but look at why he says he's going to do this. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It wasn't just about Abraham. It was also about the way that God was going to bless the world through him. This is true concerning spiritual gifts. Whatever way the Lord has gifted you and equipped you for ministry, it's not just for yourself. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. If you're a Christian, God gives you his Holy Spirit, and yes, that is for your good. He produces such good fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Who doesn't want those things? But you know what? He also gives us his spirit so that we can uh, uh, help other people. Like it's for the common good that he gives a manifestation of his spirit. This is true with money. Look at this, 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 18. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. If the Lord is blessing you financially, it's not just so that you can spend a bunch of money on yourself. It's so that you can be generous and able to share with other people and bless them too. And you know, just as God has shown us this principle and all these other kind of things that when he blesses, it's not just for you, but it's also for others, this is true with comfort as well. We have a good God that gives us the blessing of drawing us near to us and comforting us, even in the most difficult of times. And he does that, not just for us, but also so that we can extend that comfort to other people as well. And so we've seen clearly that God comforts his people. He provides this. He wants us to provide it for others. The final question I'd have is like, all right, well, how do we actually receive the comfort that God wants to give us? And to that, I would say quite simply the same thing that Jesus says, come to him, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's the invite of Jesus. He wants us to come to him. If you're weary, you need comfort, come. Come to him in prayer. Just speak to him. You know, it's not it's not rocket science. It's not something that you need to have a PhD in. You don't need to go to seminary to figure out how to come to Jesus. It's a, it's a simple invite. Come, be with me. You know, you can do it right now. You can say, Jesus, I want to come to you. 
Like, I want to know you more. I want you to come for me. I, I want to know you on a level that's deeper than what I do right now. And, you know, as you do that, um, I, I will say that Jesus is going to challenge you to lay down your sin and coming to him. You know, he, there's no one that's better to be around than Jesus, but he is holy. And you can't just be living in sin trying to hang out with the holy God of the universe. He wants you to come to him, but he wants to purify that and weed that out of you. And you know, that, that's the thing. It's like we might say we want God's comfort, but so often we don't want to give up our sin. And I, I see this in Matthew 23. Jesus is kind of mourning over the fact that he's come, and this is getting near the end of his earthly ministry. He knows he's going to be crucified relatively soon. He's preached, he's preached, he's preached, and people have continued to reject him. And this is what he says here in Matthew 23, 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. You see, the heart of Jesus was there. He wanted to gather. He wanted to call. He wanted to bring them. But what did he do? As he was doing that, Jesus was going around. He was preaching, he was preaching repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jerusalem didn't repent. As a matter of fact, shortly after, they would be crucifying him. And so the, the reason that they didn't end up getting to receive the comfort that God had, they didn't get to be gathered like chicks under the, the wing of a hen, is not because God was unwilling, but because they were unwilling to give up their sin and actually turn to Christ. And so I don't know where you are this morning, but I, I can tell you this heart of Jesus to call you to himself, to give you rest, to comfort you, like he wants that. But if you're going to come, you, you need to be willing to lay aside your sin and to come to him in repentance. And as you do that, let him take your anxieties and fears. Give this stuff over to him. You know, Paul, uh, Peter told us to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. And you know, as we come to him in faith and repentance, I also encourage you to let him comfort you through others. Right? Let him comfort you through others. We've seen that this is one of the big ways that God works. Paul wrote in uh, verses 10 and 11, he said, On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. When we pray for each other, that's actually one of the ways that we can help each other receive the comfort of God. Right? Like Paul was talking about how the prayers of the Corinthians were helpful in delivering him from the difficult situation that he found himself in. And you know, one of the things that we also see that's consistently true throughout Scripture is that God chooses to work not only in his people, but also through his people. And, and this is one of the things, if God wants to comfort you, you need to receive the comfort of God, he may want to give that to you through the fellowship of another person, maybe even that's here in this room. And you know, man, if, if, you, if you need prayer, like, ask for it. Like, we, we give you the opportunity every Sunday. There's going to be people around the, the edge of this room that want, you to that want to pray with you. Come and ask for it. You know, uh, if you don't want to talk with one of those people, grab someone else that you know or trust and uh, talk to your life group, whatever. Let God minister to you and comfort you through the people that he has also put in your life. And as a final encouragement, I would also say, man, don't just be a person that comes to God for comfort, but also be a person that extends that comfort out towards others, as we've already talked about. We need to be people that point others towards him. 
You know, we live in a world that's desperately in need of comfort, right? When I started this sermon, I talked about one thing we know that's going to be sure in our lives is that there's going to be trouble. At, no one's immune to it. All your friends, your family, people in your classes, your coworkers, all that, all of them are going through troubles of some kind, and everyone is trying to cope with them in some capacity. Question is, what are they turning to? There's no substitute for Jesus. Not meditation, not yoga, not alcohol, not sex, not a- anything that you do. It, it, it can't comfort in the way that God does. And so we need to be people that point those that God has put in our circle towards the God of all comfort. We need to pray for them, and we need to be willing to make sacrifices even for their good. You know, I think about this. Paul uh, endured hardship many times so that he could get the gospel to people, and the Corinthians were no different. He even said in 2 Corinthians 1.6, he says, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. He was willing to go through distress to be able to bring comfort to other people. And you know, sharing the gospel with others, pointing them towards Jesus, is probably going to take you outside of your comfort zone. If you're actually going to be a spreader of the comfort of God, I can almost guarantee it is going to put you into situations that are uncomfortable for you. And that will cause distress for you on some level. But if we're to be people that, that actually do what God calls us to, to not only be comforted by him, but to bring comfort to others, then, then we have no choice but to, to follow him into those situations that are difficult and to trust him to comfort us even in those. And you know, the ultimate example of this is Jesus, right? Is there anyone that sacrificed more comfort than Jesus? Can you imagine being God and putting on flesh? And the Bible says he wasn't even pretty. Like, it was supposed to be funny, but like that, that he was just, I mean, literally he's, he's God. He, he puts on flesh in the time he lived. He was born in a manger. He didn't even have air conditioning or Netflix or anything. No internet, no cell phone. He, he, he chooses to, to walk along with all the weaknesses that, that we have in our bodies. When he's the eternal God of the universe, and all things have been created through him, Is there anyone that sacrificed more comfort? And you know, not only did he sacrifice an unfathomable amount of comfort in choosing to take on flesh, he even went to the cross. Where where he was nailed, where he was beaten, where he had a crown of thorns put on his head, where he was stabbed in the side, where his blood poured out for us, and where he died. And he did that so that you could be comforted. He did that so that you could be comforted and so that you would not be stuck in your sin and having to pay the wages of it, which are death. He paid it for you. And so may we be people that are like our Savior, Jesus, that trust the Lord, that obey the Lord, and and that are even willing to take ourselves out of, uh, of comfortable situations and to put ourselves into distressing ones as we need to so that we could be people that bring comfort to others as well. Man, may we praise the God of all comfort for the way that he cares for us and gives us comfort in all situations. And may we be faithful servants of Jesus who find comfort in God and seek to comfort others as well. Let's pray. Um, Lord, I thank you uh, that you love us the way you do. God, I thank you that um, you're willing to just be uncomfortable for us. I know loving people like us is challenging. Um, think of how it was hard for Paul uh, in some ways to love the Corinthians. Like he loved them a ton, but it was hard on his heart. 
Because loving people that, that are sinful is, is messy and, and difficult and it hurts. And God, I, I know that like you, you have a heart that longs for us and that it hurts when we sin. It hurts when we refuse to be gathered. God, I thank you that you're willing to go through distress and difficulty to be the one that comforts us. And God, I pray that uh, for everyone that, that's going through distress and difficulty right now, that, that we'd be people that find comfort in you, Lord. Just even in a supernatural way, God, it's, it's, it's so simple, but it's also so difficult to just come to you. And God, I just pray that if there's anything that's hindering us from that, like sin that we don't want to give up or, or doubts or fears or anything else that's just stopping us from coming to you, I pray that you would help us to lay those aside and just come to the one that can give comfort to us and, and rest to our weary souls. Lord, I pray that you'd move in our hearts. And God, I pray that you would empower us to be uh, people that, that bring your comfort with us wherever we go, for ourselves and for others. We want this world to know you, Lord. We love you. We thank you for who you are. And uh, we pray all of this in your son's awesome name. Amen.